What we're going to do today is we're going to continue. If you're new to the church, Sanctuary Church, we're a Bible teaching church. So what that means is, is that we'll teach through the Bible. There's different ways to approach church. You can do topics and all that. And we, we do that also, but uh, predominantly we're a Bible teaching church. So it's kind of old school. And what we do is we just go through the Bible. We're going through 2 Peter chapter 3. So what we do is we read it, we explain it, we apply it. We read it, we explain it, we apply it. So it's awesome. So that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to read it this morning. If you want to stand up, the scripture will be on the screen there. We're reading from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through verse 13. And um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says this. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed or to perish, but wants everyone to repent and come to everlasting life. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away, the terrible noise, and then the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should we live? Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, that is the day of the Lord, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But as we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, as he promised, a world filled with God's righteousness, you may be seated. So I want to draw your attention also to verse 1, which says this. Verse 1 says this. This is the second letter to you, dear friends. So here's a bunch of to realize what's happening here. Peter is writing to the church that he's actually the leader of, and this is how he addresses them. He says that this is the second time that I'm writing to you, my dear friends. And interestingly, four times in this chapter, he addresses them as dear friends. Now think about that, how you address your friends. But uh, four times he talks to them and he says, dear friends, dear friends, dear friends, dear friends. Like you get the idea. He's trying to make a point there, right? There's something really important about this. So literally he's saying this, he's saying, hey, uh, I may be your pastor. You may be the people, but you need to know that you are my dear, dear friend. I know you very well. I know your circumstances. You are not a number here. You know, you go to places and you feel like you're a number. He's saying that you're not a number here. You are dear to my heart. I hold you in my heart. You are very much love. The original language is a agapeo, a derivative of that, which means that I love you with, a, with an unconditional love, with an unselfish love, with a heartfelt affection. So he's sort of just pouring out his, his affection to the people there, and he's saying that uh, my heart is tender toward you. He's saying that, friends, we have a special relationship. This just isn't some... Facebook, friendship. This is like we really have a real genuine friendship here. So he's reminding them of this. He's saying, they're like, hey, you are my friends. You are a prized possession. You are more than just numbers. You're not just like the, the church out there. But I'm talking to you in a way that you need to know you are prized and you are valued and I love you with all of my heart. That's why he says, dear friend. Isn't that beautiful? So tender and awesome. And uh, as I've been reading this, I've been reading this chapter for, for weeks now. And I just kept going off inside me. So all of that to say this, is that when I get a chance to talk to you, uh, you are my dear friends. You're not a number, you're my friends. And I, and I feel this, I feel this in my heart. Like I feel, I feel love for you. 
you are prized in my heart. You are special. Uh, we have a special relationship. You are valued. And um, I didn't want to just uh, read that and not tell you that, it's, that this is personal for me. It's more than words uh, on a script. This is personal. This is how I feel about you. And I just want you to know that you are loved people, and I am honored and I am blessed to be a part of this journey with you. So God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And uh, it's my, and don't overwhelm me with uh, uh, your response there, but uh, yeah, come on. It's the scripture, baby. So I want to introduce to you my good friend. Uh, pastor Ron has been a lead pastor for 33 years. Uh, he's got a doctorate in theology and a double master. So he's just a young upstart, just a young upstart trying to figure it out. But uh, he also travels internationally. Uh, he goes to other countries, teaches pastors. And uh, perhaps the most, not, not perhaps, the most important thing that I have to say about Ron Williams is he's been married to Anita Williams for 60 years. Would you get... 60? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 61 years, of which 60 have been good. 60 of the 61 have been good. Would you give it up for Pastor Ron Williams? There's more truth than Rod realizes. (laughs) There have been 60 really good years. (laughs) I don't know about you, but marriage is a working process, and... uh, uh, we've made some tremendous strides. Uh, there's still a ways to go, but I'm a blessed man indeed. Uh, you know, when I come to you this morning, uh, it's kind of with mixed emotions. Uh, we received a word this morning that our friend Carol Rogers had passed away. And uh, Carol and her husband Jim have been our colleagues now, I suppose, for more than 50 years. And... Uh, very precious people, and so at our age, uh, too often it seems that we get the phone call saying that one of our colleagues has gone to be with the Lord, and that kind of that kind of news is both happy and sad, because our friends, uh, for the most part, are all Christ followers, and they now know what we are only guessing at. They're fully in the presence of the Lord, so. A part of my heart is with Jim today and his children as they deal with the loss of a mother and a wife. Uh, On the other hand, it's always a delight to talk to you. And so I'd like for you to open your Bibles with me, if you will, to the chapter that we read from and to those verses that we looked at. It'll be uh, 2 Peter, the third chapter. Of course, the, the overarching theme of our study in 1 Peter has been uh, about uh, the coming of the Lord and living in uh, end times. And I would remind you again that when Peter stood, the man who writes this letter, on the day of Pentecost, and he preached the sermon from Joel, and he said, speaking, uh, quoting Joel the prophet who had lived probably uh, 700 years before Peter, he quotes from him and he says, in the last day, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So in a sense, since the day of Pentecost, uh, nearly 2,000 years ago, we've been living in the last days, the end times. Now it's important for us to understand then that uh, the coming of Christ uh, is ever drawing nearer and nearer. 
And so uh, I want to talk to you about what I would call the day of all days. Um, I think about what are the important days in life. And a day could be uh, the time from the rising of the sun until the setting of the sun. And so we would talk about the daylight hours. That's a day. Or we might talk about a 24-hour period. That, too, would be a day. But also a day could be a time without any real uh, duration. We don't know what it is, as in the day of or is the day to come. My age uh, group will always say, back in the day. Now, that, that date is back in the day. And then we'll tell you something as young people that you know nothing about and could care less. <laughs> we tend to babble a bit and talk about the day how it was back in the day. Well, we'll try not to do that uh, too much this morning. But uh, you, you see what I'm talking about, the day. Now, what is uh, the day? Well, you think about uh, birthdays, you think about holidays, you think about occasions in your uh, lives that were very special days. Those are uh, very dear to us. Uh, you know, I'm a, a World War II baby, and so... Uh, I do remember the rejoicing in the streets on uh, uh, D-Day and the deliverance uh, of Europe from the Nazis in 1944. I can remember also VJ Day in 1945 when uh, uh, we were celebrating as a nation uh, the end of the conflict with the Japanese people. And so those are very special days. We, in fact, we, we just recently uh, celebrated Memorial Day, didn't we? And we, we uh, remember those that have given their lives in service to our country. And then I think also of uh, Independence Day. That's just around the corner, the 4th of July, when we celebrate the birth of our nation. So there are those important days. But of all the days in the history of mankind, I don't believe there is any more important day or ethical day than the day of the Lord. I truly believe that is the day of all days. So let me uh, suggest to you uh, three, three uh, uh, couplets that come from this text for me. And I want to share these ideas with you. Basically three points with, that are coupled together with uh, contrasting concepts. So the first I want to talk to you about how it will be a day of, uh, uh, reveling, uh, of revealing, a revealing day, and it will also be a, a day of rejoicing. So let me get this over here in the light so I can read it. And it says, beginning in the eighth verse, But do uh, not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfilling his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. Now, in Peter's day, uh, they were saying, look, you people have been talking about the coming of the Lord for a long, long time now but it hasn't happened. So what, what happened to the promise of his coming? And so Peter, as uh, uh, Pastor Rod was saying, is, has a very compassionate heart. And he says that that day awaits, 
there's still others that need to come. And so the Lord is not uh, slow or slack concerning his promises, but he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so let me suggest to you uh, how I would, uh, I would uh, unravel this, if you will, or take it apart. Uh, I, I would think that there are, are special days in your life just like there have been special days in my life. Uh, Rod, uh, Pastor Rod spoke about our, our marriage in, in June. We did uh, just a few weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated number 61. But, you know, every now and then my mind flashes back in history and in time. And we were at a, a little church in Santa Fe Springs, and I was standing on the platform with the groomsmen, and uh, the wedding march began to play, and I looked in the center aisle, and here came this uh, uh, beautiful, beautiful woman coming down the aisle. She had a veil over her face and a lovely, lovely wedding gown, and she came. I, father gave her father, Hubert gave her away. I took her by the arm and helped her up, and we stood in front of the preacher and the minister, and we exchanged our vows. But there came a time in the ceremony where he said, you may kiss your bride. And so like grooms do, we, I lifted her, her veil, and there was that beautiful face, that gorgeous woman that I had fallen in love with, who was now becoming my wife. Now, I have to tell you, I was feeling two things. I was feeling... Man, am I lucky. On the other hand, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm a young guy. I don't know how good I'll be at this husband business. And, and uh, a lot of responsibility. And so you have those kind of mixed feelings. Uh, am I adequate to this? Well, apparently it's worked out that way. And, and, and I think I have proven with the Lord's help to be somewhat adequate. So that was a special day. But I also think uh, when we found out that Annie was pregnant with our daughter Allison, and so we have the, six, the nine months of gestation. Uh, the day arrives. We rush off to the hospital early in the morning. And then it turns out to be a 12-hour wait for the baby to come. Now, in those days, back in the day, <laughs> the husbands were not, at least where we were at, were not allowed to be in the presence of, of the birthing room. So, you, you know, you feel like an outcast. And, and you're just guessing. And here's my my bride that I love, and I know she's going through these labor pains. I know the baby's coming, but I'm in the dark. I don't know what's going on in there. It just seemed like to be a terribly, terribly long day. And then the news came. The baby is born. Now, Allison was behind a glass window, and I was able to uh, see Anita and, and congratulate her as best I could on this baby, but I, I couldn't hold the baby. So, it was a day or two before she and the baby came home from the hospital. And I cannot tell you those early, that early first year. I loved to come home from work. I would take off my shirt. I would lie down on the bed. And I would, she'd be in her diapers. And I would put her on my chest. And to stroke the skin of a newborn is just an overwhelming sensation to me. There's nothing softer, more tender than than to stroke that child. Well, she has grown up. She's a wonderful woman of God. Uh, I still like to hug her, but the stroking's all gone, okay? <laughs> so don't want to sound weird here. Okay, then there was Josh. Got the call from Mr. Ortiz. Uh, we have a boy for you. We have a baby for you. So we went to the adoption agency, 
and he was just a month old, and we had this big, fat baby boy that we brought home with us, and Josh has been a delight and a, a son that I love. I don't know that I could love him more. And we've been ups and downs and things that happen in family, but I am so proud of my son. But those were incredibly special days. But I'm going to tell you this. There's a day coming in my life and in your life that will surpass our wedding days. It will surpass the birth of our children. It will surpass anything we've ever thought of because we're going to see the Son of God and his radiance and all of his glory. Well, we got a bit of a glimpse of him 2,000 years ago, but his glory was veiled in, in a body, an earthly body. And occasionally there was a little peek into who Jesus was beyond just being a human being, that he was indeed the Son of God, God come in the flesh. And every now and then we got a little peek at that, but we couldn't see Jesus. Humanity, human beings couldn't see Jesus as he is. Deity, uh, the second person of the divine Godhead, God of gods, Lord of lords, and King of kings. And when that would happen, uh, on, on the special occasions in Scripture, have you ever noticed when people see Jesus as he really is, they don't ask him questions. They don't grill him about anything. They just fall before him in prostration, overwhelmed by the majesty and the glory of Christ. At this age in my life, one of the great concerns I have for the church is I love the message that, we, that God loves us. Who can measure the love of God? We can't. And he loves us beyond our comprehension. But we must not sacrifice another side of God. That God is radiant and that he is holy. And he's the holy other. He's different from us, as different as the day is from the night. God is glorious in all his ways. And on the day that Jesus appears, we will see him as he is. The apostle Paul says, we will marvel at his coming. It will be marvelous in our eyes, and our hearts will be filled with both trepidation and the greatest joy possible because we'll look upon the lover and the redeemer of our souls. That day is going to come. Now, I, I, I want you to know that there is a profound difference between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. When he came the first time, he came as an infant born of Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he was 100% little boy. He was 100% teenager. He was 100% young man. But he didn't, uh, didn't live much longer than just a young man stage because he was crucified when he was 33 years of age. I look around at my age and I see a 33-year-old and I think, oh, that is really young. And my Savior was crucified when he was 33 uh, years old. And he didn't come uh, he didn't come uh, flexing his muscles, uh, puffing out his chest, saying, take a good look at the Adonis that I am. That was not our Savior. No. He says, this is what I want you to know about me. I'm gentle and I'm meek. And he came in gentleness and he came in meekness. He came to serve and not to be served. And so you remember the occasion when Jesus on that last night with the disciples, took off his outer garment, picked up a towel and a basin, and he washed the feet of the disciples. 
He humbled himself, and he became a human. But that wasn't the end of it. He humbled himself and became a servant of all. That wasn't the end of it. He humbled himself even to death, the death of the cross. That's our Savior. That's how we have known him in the past. But the day is coming when we'll know him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We'll see him in his radiant splendor, and our hearts will be filled with uh, uh, unexpressible joy. So it's a day of revealing and rejoicing. Let, let me point one other thought out to you when I think about the revealing. You're going to be real for what you are. Now, as I look at you today, the lights kind of blind me so I don't see your faces all that well. When I come down from the platform and we say hi a little later on, I'm going to see your external. I'm going to see your outside. And we work, try to make the outside as best we can. Uh, uh, But uh, that's not the real you. That's not the real me. That's that person that lives inside. Now, when Jesus comes again, get this. uh, This earth suit that we have is going to be transformed And the radiant glory of God Almighty who lives in us is going to be manifest to all of the saints. And we'll really get to know one another when the veil of this flesh is uh, taken away and we see the glory of Christ in all of our lives, a great unveiling, a great revealing, and a great day of rejoicing. Second thought, it's a day of reward and retribution. So let me read a a few more verses down in the text, if you will. Since all these things are, uh, uh, oh, let me back up a bit. Uh, Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly, heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's going to be a day of reward and a day of retribution. Uh, I went online, and I was thinking about the trial of the centuries. Some of you remember that. Uh, I bet you Dave Florence remembers the trial of the century. It was the trial of O.J. Simpson uh, back in, what, in the 90s? And, uh, uh, boy, 150 million people were tuned in to hear the video, were watching the broadcast to find out the verdict. Well, a lot of people were unhappy with the verdict. Other people were happy with the verdict. We know that the verdict was not guilty on that first trial. But later on, there was a second trial. It was a civil trial. And uh, they found O.J. guilty. Uh, and he had to pay uh, sign, uh, fines in the millions of dollars. And, um, uh, of course, he was guilty. And by that, the findings of that court. Uh, I think also that um, it reminds me that what happens in life in our day and time, you see, you could commit a crime and it's never found out. You could commit a crime and you could be charged with it and convicted, but you could escape and run away and never be seen again. Uh, There could be a miscarriage of justice where Maybe you were innocent and you were declared guilty, or you were uh, uh, guilty and declared innocent. But not so in God's court. Somehow out there in cyberspace, I don't understand, in the cloud, 
God is a bookkeeper, and he keeps score. He knows what's going on. He knows, he knows when you stand up. He knows when you sit down. He knows when you go to bed, go to sleep, when you wake up. There's nothing that he doesn't know about you. In fact, he knows stuff about you that you don't know about yourself. That's just how magnific- magnificent our God is. He knows all. Now, <clears throat> there are two judgments that the Scripture talks about. One judgment is what I will call a, a, a reward uh, versus retribution. Now, retribution is about when you, you have to pay for the crime. You have to, you have to uh, fulfill the obligation of, that justice demands of you because of the crime that you have committed. Uh, so there's a, we need a little clarity here because uh, the first judgment I want to talk to you about is called the, the behemoth or the, the judgment seat of Christ. And let me suggest this to you. We sang this morning that we are chosen in him. Now, let me remind you of when that, chosen, that choosing happened. It happened before time. Uh, you have always been in God's mind, and you will always be uh, in God's mind, and you were chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. That deal is done. And when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ... All your sins were buried in the sea of his forgetfulness. They were removed as far as from the east as from the west. But that's not all. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect righteousness was laid to your account. It was charged to your account. It was imputed to your account. And you are as right before God as you're ever going to be. And you're as right before God as the Lord Jesus is himself because you are clothed in Christ. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. So that deal is done when we stand before Jesus. But this is what I think is going to happen. I think there's some awards going to be given out. Uh, some folks aren't going to have the kind of reward they think might, they might have. But it's okay. It's cool because God's going to take care of that. But I do believe this. We're going to be reassigned. See, in this life, uh, I'm Ron the roofer. I'm Ron the pastor, I'm Ron the professor, and I'm married to Anita the therapist. That's kind of who I am. But I don't know in the age to come what my assignment will be other than this. You and I, who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to judge the angels. Think about that. It, it, heaven's going to be a busy place. It's going to be a delightful place. And we're going to be reassigned. There's a new activity that God has in store for us. It's been in, ordained from eternity. So when we stand before Jesus, there's some gain, there's some loss, but it's not about uh, our eternal salvation. Uh, there is also the great white throne of judgment. And I assure you, you don't want to go there. You don't want to be a part of that judgment because that's for the devil and his angels and all the Christ rejectors, everyone that has failed to acknowledge the lordship of Christ, who has not paid deference and reverence to God Almighty, their judgment is banishment from the presence of God forever and ever. And we don't like to talk about hell, but hell is just as real as heaven, and you need to avoid it at all costs. And the cost has been paid, so you can avoid it. Jesus bore the wrath of God on Calvary's cross for you and for me, and we don't have to be subjected to the wrath of God because God's wrath has fallen on him.
a third, a third couplet I want us to see. And it's that it's a day of renovation and restoration. And so let me read out then uh, the remainder of the text that we have chosen. Verse 11 says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven, for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I want you to take a good look at me. Uh, when I got up this morning, I had on the blue shirt. Uh, and, but I had on black pants. And the lady that lives with me, Mrs. Williams, she looked at me and she said, that's too sharp of a contrast. You need some lighter color pants. So here I am. I have tan pants and this shirt. Do I look dapper? Okay. Well, that's due to Mrs. Williams. She, she dressed me this morning, and that's not the first time. <clears throat> she has an eye for color. Uh, our friends, the Chambers, uh, they're our relatives. They live over in the city of Orange. And they have a house that's just about 70 years old. And they went through an extensive remodeling. And it, it was demolition. You had to take things apart, put it back together again. So they took the house apart, made a great room out of a couple small rooms. Uh, just a beautiful job in the remodel. But it was time to decorate. Well, they called upon Mrs. Williams, Anita, who has a great eye for color. And, and she just does those kind of things, those things well. It's just, uh, she just has that ability. And so we've been going over there now for, I suppose, in what, two or three months, uh, usually about a day a week. And she has just redecorated this whole house, and everybody's so happy about how it looks. So you see there was a, 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 a renovation, and then there comes a restoration, renovation, restoration. Now, we learn this in the Bible. The Bible teaches that all of creation is in tra travail now, waiting for the manifestations of the Son of God. Uh, sons of God. What does that mean? Well, the little dogs and the little cats and the rocks and the mountains and the streams and the hills and the sky and the birds, all of that is in a, a, a struggle because what was rightfully to be creation's glory was destroyed through one man's sin, and sin came upon the human race, and everything that is evil and wrong in this world can goes right back to Man's rebellion against God. And God's going to come. And he's going to renovate. Scripture says the elements will melt with a fervent hate. Uh, Paul talking about those last days and when the Antichrist appears, it says that Jesus will destroy him by the brightness of his coming. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. So on the one hand, you cannot measure the depths and the height and the width and the length of God's love. It's beyond our comprehension. Neither can you comprehend the violence of his wrath when it's poured out upon sin. You get a glimpse of it at Calvary. You get a glimpse of it when Jesus was beaten black and blue and stripped and laid bare 
and then his, his body nailed to a cross, the, 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 the thorns, the, the crown on his brow. God's wrath came down upon his son, and because his wrath fell on his son, it doesn't have to fall on you and me, and we are bid to come to him, receive him as Savior. One final thought, and it's the thought of this text when it asks the question, what sort of person ought you to be, seeing that these things are going to happen? We're given two words. We're to be holy, and we're to be godly. Well, what does that mean? If you're in Christ, holy is what you already are. You don't have to work to be holy, because holy means to be set apart for God. You're his instrument. He purchased you. You belong to him. He's marked you out uh, for himself. That's a done deal. And all we need to do is to accept that we are accepted. Let me say that again. We have to accept that we are accepted. We can't improve on our holiness. That's full. It's complete. And it's Jesus. But we have a whole lot of work to do with the godliness part of that. Because that then talks to us about our ethic, how we live our lives. Now, in uh, the 50s, where I grew up, uh, uh, there was uh, fornication, there was adultery, there was homosexuality, there was drug addiction, there was drunkenness, alcoholism, uh, all the vices that are present today. And the church said Christians should not do those things. This should not be named among the saints. But there's been a lot of slippage over the last a long time, 70 years or so, a lot of slippage in the church. And when you read statistics, what you discover, there's no real measurable difference between the church lives and the world lives. And so we place our stamp of approval on that which is, uh, is, is odious to God, that is a stench in his nostrils. And we, we, uh, we, we compromise and we pat people on the back and say, oh, by grace you are saved. Man, I would die for that statement. I believe that by grace we are saved, but I don't believe that grace is slippery. I don't believe it's greasy. I believe it's the transformation of a heart where we begin to love what God loves and hate what he hates. And if that's not happening in our hearts, we need to do a check. We need to check our hearts because God's calling us to be a godly people. Well, a lot of stuff we've talked about this morning. And I'll just share my heart with you. Uh, fortunately, Rod has to come and clean up the mess. <laughs> but let God talk to us. And I want to pray for you. And as I'm praying, I'll invite the worship team to come. And I want us to just take a moment. And before I pray, let's think a little bit about what, do, what does our lives, what does my life really look like? What, is it the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, uh, gentleness, kindness, temperance, and so on? Is, is, is it a life that reflects the Lord Jesus himself, or does it look just a little bit dirty and a little bit messed up? And if so, those are the things we need to take care of. We need to confess, and we need cleansing, and we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit so we can live out the lives that God has called us to. And so, Father, I bless these people in your name. We call upon you, and I pray, Lord, as we search our hearts, that if there's some wicked way in us, 
that you will cleanse it, that you will know our hearts, and may we live out lives that represent you well, I pray in Christ's name. And if somebody's here that hasn't yet received you, may they hear the message of redemption and grace that the provision has been made through Calvary's cross and through the love of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. All we have to do is say, Jesus, here I am. I want to follow you. Be the Lord of my life. Amen.